You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, the place where hope and reality converge. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to take a look as we uh, look at our second week here of, ta- of uh, All About Selfie. Uh, you, you may have heard and, and uh, know this, uh, this uh, term and something that has recently in the last two years hit the, the definition or the uh, dictionary has become an official word that is used. And so we're going to look in these last uh, these couple days or weeks that we've been talking uh, about the aspect of selfie, what the Word of God says, how to see ourselves properly, how to live it, uh, centered in a uh, self-centered world, how to live centered in a in a world that oftentimes becoming uh, self-centered. And what God's word would say about that? Philippians chapter four is where we're going to take a look in in just a moment. A couple weeks ago, if you may remember, I shared a uh, a joke with you, and uh, that joke received some boos, and that was even after I warned that it was a bad joke. See, I think that's just, that, that, that's not proper that when I warn and say it's a bad joke and there's still booze after it. But that was the second service, the, the 11 o'clock. Then 9 o'clock service didn't boo. You, you guys just were gracious and received it. But the 11 o'clock service, I got booze on that joke. So I'm going to try a, a second one. I'm going to try another joke. And uh, if, if, we, if it doesn't go well, I'll tell you who told it to me. And if it goes well, we'll just leave it at that. So uh, here it is, two uh, elderly men. They, they had just recently retired and they're sitting on the park bench and making decisions of how they're going to spend the rest of their lives. And they talk about baseball because they both love baseball. They, they both were pitchers and baseball was their thing. And so they realized that game is behind them. But they got excited because when you get to heaven, you're going to get a new body. And they said, just think we could play baseball again. I wonder if there's, a, if there's a baseball field in heaven. I have no idea. Back and forth, they're talking. And they made this, this pact, this agreement. They said, all right, if I go first, I'll come back and tell you if there's a baseball field. And you do the same. If you go to heaven before me, you come back and tell me if there's a baseball field. They had this agreement. They'd meet at the park bench and they'd have conversation. One week, of course, one of them didn't show up on the park bench. One of them had gone to heaven and, and the, the, the gentleman left uh, alone sitting on the park bench was, was there wondering if there's a baseball field in heaven. And finally at the park bench, he, he gets a, a visit and he says, I've got good news and bad news. It was his friend who had told him. He said, I've got good news and bad news. He said, the good news is there is a beautiful baseball field in heaven. It's a beautiful diamond. The, the plush grass and, and the, the, the infield is set. It is a beautiful baseball field. That's the good news. The gentleman said, well, what's the bad news? He said, well, the bad news is you're scheduled to pitch next week. <coughs> oh, they're laughing, so I won't tell you Don Miller told me. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that would work a lot better than a couple weeks ago. I'll see how it goes over the second service. Some things you find out can be a surprise. You learn some things that you, some things that you learn become a surprise to you. But how many know there's some things that we learn that aren't that much of a surprise? They don't surprise us much. And the, 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 the difference between the two is, is, is such a, a, a vast difference because when you are surprised by something and you had no idea it was coming, it's hard to prepare for that. But when something, a lesson or something you learn that is not surprising, it allows you to prepare for it. When it doesn't surprise you, you ought to be prepared for it. I, I might tell you, you could go home today and you could find that the dog got in your trash. Some of you are like, that wouldn't surprise me. 
Some of you say that wouldn't surprise me if the dog would get into the trash. And if that's not a surprise to you, then you prepare for what you might know, what might occur. And I, in fact, I saw this, uh, was visiting a friend's house, and here's a tip. You just take that trash can and you drill it right into the wall. The dog cannot knock that thing over. Doesn't matter what he does. Just that trash can, just make it fixed, it'll, it'll stay. Whatever you're surprised by, it's hard to prepare. But if you're not surprised by it, we ought to be able to prepare and develop and make ourselves ready. This morning, I want to give you some information, and I'm not sure it'll surprise you. I want to share something with you today that I'm, I'm not sure if it would surprise you or not, and here's what it is. Are you ready for it? Some of you might gasp and say, oh, I can't believe that. I didn't know. I have no idea. Here it is. We can easily be selfish. No one gasped. No one said, oh, really? We know our nature because we know what it is around us. We know the, 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 the tendencies and the things that might occur. This morning, I want to talk to you about this, this reality that we can, of course, be selfish people. Something I've learned about myself is even though I'm not always happy with myself, I do like myself. I don't know if you found that about yourself. We tend to like things the way we like them. We tend to gravitate to people who are more like us. We tend to separate ourselves from the people who don't fit into our structure, who don't fit into how we see things. We tend to develop and build our world around us. Now, on one hand, we know that that's how God created us. There's some reality there. But the danger is that when we live in our world so isolated to ourselves, so self-centered and in, in working in all aspects of what surrounds us, liking ourselves isn't a problem. In fact, it's necessary. The Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So there needs to be some self-love. It's not the pursuit of happiness that's the problem. It's when we become the destination of happiness. It's when we ourselves become the destination that we don't reach happiness until it pleases us. And how many have found out that you can try that route and you'll never get there because it doesn't matter what you do in, in, in and of ourselves that it's never enough. There's always more. There's something that we desire. And we live in a world of self this morning, I want to challenge us with this, and here's the title of the message this morning. I want to encourage us to selfie less. Do you know that it is over a million uploads of selfies every day? That means in a week's time, over seven, almost eight million photos of individuals are being uploaded and being shared. That we in our, in our aspect of, of what it is that we're doing. I, I looked at this and I thought, why are we so intrigued? Why are we so, uh, so driven and, and so much? And I realized this morning, some of you are sitting here and being like, I have never taken a picture of myself in my life. I have no idea what you're talking about. You may have never taken the phone and taken a selfie, but you still have that selfish bug inside of you. You may have never been a part of this move or this trending thing, whatever it is, but it only brings the reality what's already been on the inside of us for years. In fact, take a look at this video, and, and uh, it's, it's something that's not new to us. We've been experiencing this for a little bit of time. From the dawn of time, man has been obsessed with himself, and it didn't take long for us to realize that we could present ourselves with a little editorial discretion. <clears throat> um, David, his children in the museum, not only did our ancestors try to hide their insecurities, 
but they also hid their true facial features. For instance, the puckered lips on Rembrandt's 1640 self-portrait could be the world's first documented duck face. If you could have followed Frida Kahlo on Instagram, you would have become well acquainted with a face. No time to pluck the eyebrows, Frida would have needed a weed whacker. Vincent van Gogh, lend me your ear. He produced over 40 self-portraits in the span of three years and never a hint of a smile. The most unhappy man I've ever seen. With the emerging world of photography in the 19th century, selfies became more popular than ever before. Which brings us to modern day. You may no longer have to deal with the hassles of traditional media, but there's nothing new about taking a selfie. Is nothing new of this aspect and what it is, a world that is revolving around us. This morning, I want to encourage us to selfie less. This might not seem like a big deal to some of us. I want to give us a challenge. And I, there might be some teenagers, uh, young, uh, uh, younger folks in the room. And here's a challenge. I don't know if this strikes you, but if you had to go a whole day without taking a selfie and uploading it, how would that affect you? Now, I know there's some of you in the room, you're like, what are you even talking about? What is it? Now, I realize that, that for some of us, we have no idea what that is. But I want to encourage us in, in, in this aspect to selfie less. I want us to encourage or want to encourage us today, whether it's with a phone or without, that we be careful that we're not people who are, who, who are selfieing so much that we have so many things about ourselves, but that we selfie less. Because every time we pick up the camera and we take a picture, let me ask you, Who's in the lens? Who is it that you're, that you're, that the lens that you have in focus? What is it that you're focusing on? Because we live through our lens today. How many realize that? I saw a picture and I, I think I shared it at uh, the most recent uh, inaugural address as uh, President Obama was giving the address. There was a, a picture of the crowd from the back and almost every person had a phone held up and they were holding a phone recording or taking pictures. We live through the lens. That's our culture. We, we don't watch too much reality or, or too much in, in, in live motion because we watch it through the lens. We're recording, we're capturing. But in our lives, let me ask us, what is it that we have set our lens upon? What is it that we have set our eyes, our focus, our attention, and have we become and are we those people who need to be selfless or selfie-less? That we need to have less times of us being in that place of, of, of focus, of attention, when we take a selfie, I, in fact, I, I love asking questions, and it doesn't always make me popular at home with the teenagers, but I ask questions. So why do you do that? Well, just because. Well, why? Well, other people are doing it, but why are we doing it? What's the purpose? And what usually ends up with, I don't know, and, some, and I realize that. But I think it's good sometimes to really evaluate and acknowledge why we do the things we do. Because if we live in a world of anything goes and we just go along and it just becomes what we practice and we make that our habit that we just do it for the sake of doing it, then how pointed and how purposeful can our lives be if all we do is just exist in a big world of whatever we do at any moment and we really have little purpose, really have little destiny, and really uh, little emphasis in our lives and the things that we're doing. In Philippians chapter 4, I want to read this scripture, starting with verse 10. And this is Paul wrapping up his letter to the, the Philippians. He's writing in prison. It's good for us to remind or good for us to know that this morning because Paul is writing in a, in a place where he is, uh, his needs are being met, but he's still in prison. Uh, he, he's not in a place of being tortured uh, exactly at this point. He's, he's had some favor, but he's still in a cold prison. He's still in a place of discomfort. 
He's still in a place that he would not desire physically to be in, but God, by his grace, here's what he says, uh, that, that God has been merciful to him. Verse 10, while he's in prison, how grateful I am, or I praise the Lord, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but for a while you didn't have a chance to help me. They didn't have a chance to help because Paul had been transferred and he had been going, he had been taken to another prison for so, for almost two years. The church of Philippi had no idea where he was. He had been transferred and so they didn't know where he was. They wanted to help him. And, but Paul, knowing the situation, he says, you wanted to help me before, but you weren't able to. But I'm grateful for how concerned you've been. I know you have always been concerned. But didn't have the chance to help me, verse 11. Now that I, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or I have little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation or the secret of being content, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or with little. And listen to this verse then. For I can do everything. Or all things. But what he says he can do is not as important as who he says he can do it through. That is the connection. He didn't just leave it as, I can do everything. He put the most important part there. The emphasis is not on what I can do. And unfortunately, we sometimes read that scripture missing the most important part. We read it with the emphasis of what I can do. But the emphasis is not on what I can do. The emphasis is on who we do it through. And Paul is saying here, for I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. But even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Father, I ask today, Lord, that you would help us to deal with the epidemic of self that has been surrounding us from the beginning of Adam and Eve in the garden. Father, I pray that you would help us, God, to, to, to have less of self and more of you. Lord, as John prayed, help us to decrease, Lord, that you might increase. Father, help us to not have focus of, of who we are and what we are, but God, focus of who you are and what you are doing in the world that we're in today. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Of course, the graduating classes. Some have graduated, some are waiting to graduate or, or, or nearing graduation, but it is this time of, of ma- passing the, the, the mark and moving from one stage to the next, that what you have learned has been sufficient for this stage, and now it's time to go on, not out of learning, but into a new opportunity of learning. Because life in itself is all about learning. How many would agree with that? If we ever reach a point that we quit learning, we quit growing. If we ever reach a point where we no longer need to know more, and I've realized that in, the, in my, uh, in my uh, uh, 37 years of living, I have reached a place where if I hear someone use more technical terms about computer stuff and technology, I'm going to go nuts because I'm about capped at all I can handle. I, they'll come in and say, well, you need the IP address. You need this stuff to get this working. And that, hey, Ken, you want to come over and help? Hey, Ken. Can I, buy, can I buy you wings? Hey, Kent, can I, uh, I, I, I don't understand that stuff. And I hate to admit it, I'm really feeling as if I'm shutting the book on that and I don't care to learn any more about that. But how many know the moment you don't care to learn anymore is the moment you reach a place where you're not able to grow, you're not able to develop. Now I realize there's more I'm gonna have to learn, but that's not my field of expertise. 
But I've got to make sure I'm learning in another area where it is that God has called me to, to emphasize or where God has called us to live. There must be a continued learning. There's two types of learning. Two types of learning that we experience in our world. One is out of necessity and one is out of choosing. You can learn out of necessity, and these two become distinct because when you learn out of necessity, what's happening when you learn out of necessity is you learn because you have to. When you're a child, you learn out of necessity. You learn how to talk because it was even as a young age, you realize if I'm going to survive in this world, I better communicate. You recognized early that if you use certain words, it got things for you. How many know what I'm talking about? We were with a little uh, a family yesterday, and the, a young, uh, a young uh, 13-month-old, and, and she's in her, in her high chair, just a small little thing, and, and so cute. She's sitting there. Mom and dad handed her a French fry, and as soon as she took it, she ate it. She wanted another one, and before she even got another one, she said, thank you. And as soon as she said thank you, mom and dad just smiled, gave her the French fry. She looked, and you could just tell on her face, like, I got them whooped. I know what to do. We learn early on that out of necessity, and, and let's be real, that we, we learn those things because it becomes necessity, and it becomes something that we must learn in order to survive. We become in self-preservation mode. If I'm going to make it, I've got to learn these things. If I'm going to have my needs met, I've got to learn this because in order to get what I need, in order for me to get the help I need or, or this to happen, I learn out of necessity. But then there's another level of learning, and that learning is out of choosing, where I'm now choosing to learn. It's not a learning that I must or have to. There has a need, uh, there, there's a part of need to it, but I learn because I'm choosing to. Paul says here, I have learned the secret of being content. Paul could have remained living in a world of discontentment. He could have remained in a place of complaining, a place of not having what he needed, but he said, I have learned the secret of being content. And how many know in order to learn that, you've got to choose it? In order to gain that lesson, it's a decision that you have to make. It's something that we intentionally position and prepare ourselves. And literally, when we go into the choosing of learning, when I choose to read books, I, I'm not a big reader. I love to read the Bible, and I love to, love to study the Word of God. But when it comes to other books, I, it's just not my thing. I have to make myself read. And I'm not a reader that can read quick. I don't know where my two, my two children get it. Jaron and Jordan, those guys can sit down and read a book. And I'm like, are you sure you belong to me? I mean, they can read a book in, in, in days. I'm still working on a book I started two weeks ago. I enjoy the book, but I don't read quick. It's not, it's not something, but I choose, and it's something I make a decision because I want to grow and learn. And as we make those choices, it positions us. And when we position ourselves, we're intentionally putting ourselves in a place. And Paul said, I've learned this lesson. He positioned himself. When we make a choice to learn, it becomes not self-preservation, but self-preparation. We're preparing and making ourselves ready. We're preparing ourselves for what opportunities might lie ahead. The difference between surviving or thriving, of being content, and unfortunately, sometimes we can just be content with getting by. We can be content with as little as possible. 
We can be content with, with pain as little as possible, with as, as little work and pressure. Young people, I want to encourage you, don't fall into the trap of trying to pick the road that's the easy road because the road of learning is not easy. The road of learning, the road of developing, the road even of living selfless is not an easy road. The road of living selfless means sometimes there's difficult roads to face. Road, going through those roads means that there's places of, of sometimes we, we choose the less. We choose less inconvenient. We choose what requires less faith or, we require, or, or what might take less patience. We look sometimes for the easy road. But how many know that if we're going to live a life of selflessness or selfie less, that it's going to be a road that we take that's not easy, but it's a growing road. I'm sure you've realized that dying to yourself is a hard thing to do. Dying to myself every day has become the biggest task that I have on my list every morning. Every day I wake up, the first thing on my list is God help me today to die to myself. I'm learning and I'm in the process of continuing to learn how to lay myself down, how to, how to make less about me and more about him, how to live more in view of what his glory is and what it is that he desires. A study showed that the happiest people, how many want to be happy? I know we can talk about the difference between happiness and joy, and there is a difference, but I believe that God wants us to experience happiness not according to our circumstances, but according to his promise, according to our trust in his word. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to enjoy life. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean throw out all the boundaries, do whatever we want. No, it means set your priorities in line and honor the Lord, and he gives blessing in our lives. He desires us to be, to, to be happy, to be blessed. A study showed that the happiest people are those who help others. They wrote that those whose activities are devoted to bringing themselves happiness are far less likely to be happy than those whose efforts are devoted to making others happy. They concluded with this, a secular, uh, unbiased uh, university study. They concluded with this. This was their concluding statement. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus, of course, making that statement that, that the, the golden rule becoming that life of, of happiness, contentment, that putting ourselves in a proper place is that when we do unto others as we would have them do unto us, putting that in perspective, getting ourselves in out of a place of where it becomes all about us. Look at what it says in verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11, here's what Paul is saying. How grateful I am and how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you have always been concerned for me. But for a while you didn't have a chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. Because I have learned. I want you to see the camaraderie here of the church and of Paul. The church that was wanting to serve the church in Philippi wanting to serve and Paul in prison and the relationship that they had, Paul said, I praise God for your concern. The church in Philippi was saying, we're not concerned about ourselves. We're not concerned about what's going on here. We have concern for Paul. And so they're passing on concern. But what's Paul say? I appreciate your concern, but I am not in need. 
Paul was not rejecting their help. Paul was saying, I appreciate your concern. I'm encouraged by your, your concern, but my provision is met by God. He's not saying, don't send me the help. He's saying, I appreciate the help that you're giving because it's help that I'm able to pass on. And here becomes this, this reality that they work together in accomplishing a task. Here's the danger of what we can do in our culture and our society. It's called this, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. That unfortunately the danger is that we can stand in a circle and we can just scratch each other's back so that it comes around and it gets to me. And how many know that all we've done is made a circle and that is not how we build the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not built when we do in order that we might get in return. The kingdom of God is built when we do so that we might enable and encourage someone else to do their part. The church in Philippi lifted up because of their concern, they lifted up Paul. And Paul, because of his compassion for the Lord, he lifted up the cause of Jesus Christ they encouraged him he lifted up Jesus and how many know they together became a stair step of progress it became something that was lifted up we must be people who are careful to make sure that we are building up the kingdom of God and not just playing a system that we're people that are building the kingdom of God that we're working in process that we are lifting up the concern that they had for Paul became encouragement for him to him for him as he lifted up Christ and how many know that their relationship then became because they were concerned for Paul they would come and meet Paul and Paul would write them letters those letters became words of the Lord that was inspired by 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 God that became scripture that became words that became spread about and from there it built up the body of Christ not only did they bless Paul and Paul blessed them but it became the word that we read today and now here we are on 2015 sitting in Uniontown Pennsylvania reading the words of a man in prison in Philippi how many years ago because of what the kingdom of God and the word of God does that we invest and we build up and it's not just a circle of you scratch my back I scratch yours because here's the danger the danger is this and by the way let me just stop here and say thank you to this body this weekend we watched the body of Christ work together I watched the body of Christ as, as a picture, and we had so much going on this weekend. We had the men's weekend and a great time, and all the elements that were there. The young people uh, are, are preparing for their fine arts dinner theater tonight. There was a group of people that made themselves available to serve at a baccalaureate service. We had so much going on this week. There was so much taking place, and I watched the body of Christ. It was a men's event, but not only a men's event. There were young people involved, and then the women's ministry came along, and they decorated, they supported, and I watched this happen, and literally, I saw this as, I'm, as I knew the, the word that we're preaching this week, and I said, Jesus, thank you that faith assembly is not perfect, but there is a heart of concern and compassion that the body of Christ is healthy. We don't have it all together, but I want you to know that there is health in the body of Christ, that there is a camaraderie and a working together that at the end of it all, Jesus Christ gets the glory. And I believe that is a positioning of what God is doing in our church, of the positioning of what God is doing in making us ready. Because how many know you cannot receive the great things that God has until we've been made ready and our hearts have been positioned properly to receive what he has for us? He's, not gonna, he's a good father. He's not going to give it to us until we're ready for it. He's a good dad. He's not going to give us a blessing that's just going to overload us and become a curse later. He's going to bless us so that it becomes a development, something of strength, something of help, a help that he wants to give to us. This concern that sometimes we live in a place of it being about us, and here's the concern of it being about us. 
when it becomes all about us, we don't serve the kingdom of God. We end up just playing the system. There's a problem with our culture and our world, and corruption has infiltrated many systems of our society. I'm not getting on a political soapbox, but I'm going to make an absolute true statement. And that is that we, unfortunately, sometimes lose the moral compass of what God's word is, and we choose according to what benefits us. We make decisions not based on what the truth of God's word says, but how this comes back around to affect us, whether in our pockets or whether in our livelihood, our situations, that we make decisions, and any decision we make in mind for it to come around and bless us is where corruption begins. Corruption begins when we make a decision based on what benefits us. Does this come back around and have an effect? Does this help me in the long run? And the moment you live from the lens of selfie of what affects me is the moment that we miss the blessings of God. I would much rather have the blessings of the Lord than to have temporary favor with man. I would much rather have the blessings of God than make decisions that only appease for a moment. Because the Bible says this in Proverbs, that the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow with it. That when the decisions we make, young people, whether you're graduating or preparing another year of school, are the decisions you're making for life, are decisions that you're making, not the question. And let me encourage you, when someone asks you, so what do you want to do when you grow up? It's the wrong question. I always try to ask it this way. What do you feel God's calling you to do? Because if you're making a decision on what you want to do when you grow up, you're probably starting off at the wrong foot. Not probably, you are. You're starting off in the wrong direction. So what do you want to do? And unfortunately, we, we live in that self-centered track of we make our decisions and hope that God will come along and bless what we're doing. Instead of saying to God, God, I want to start out saying, what is it that would bring honor? What is it that's going to bring glory to you? Righteousness is the result of Jesus being all that we need. And how many know that's not always easy? It's not an easy process. It's not something that's easy to do. If we're going to live selfie-less, how many would say today, God, help me to be selfie-less? You might say selfless. That's okay, but you might need to selfie-less. Not put yourself in the lens as much. Not put yourself in that place. If we're going to do that, let me give you a couple things here this morning. Number one, if we're going to, if we're going to live a life that's selfless, number one, we need to start by purging our needs list. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is a danger. Here's Paul. Paul says, I know you're concerned about me. But Paul says, you're concerned about me and you've been wanting to help me. But Paul makes it clear, I have no needs. When we become needy people, We'll never drain God, but we sure can drain our resources. When we become needy people, when we become a list, and here's what I want to encourage you today, how about purging your needs list? 
The stuff that you say you need, the stuff that you say you're requiring. How about purging those things that you put on your needs list and allow those to be things that God blesses you spontaneously, that God just brings into your life and allow God to be a blessing? Because too many things, if we live in our world of, of what we, we, we have our needs, here's what I know is true, that you honor God and you take care of the Lord, he will bless you more than you could ever comprehend or know. That he'll bring blessing into your path. He'll bring, he'll bring favor into your path. That when you seek first the kingdom of God, We need to purge our needs list. God, help us to not be needy people. Help us to not be people who who look. And and here's, if you want to know if you're needy, if we're needy people, then ask ourselves, how jealous are we of other people, what people have? How much, how jealous are we of what other people have? How jealous or how much do we covet other circumstances or or, or situations that other people are going through? The way we perceive that then becomes a, a place that we might say, oh, God, they seem to have it all perfect. Everything's good for them. I wish I had it like them. I want to live in a place not where I say, God, I'm needing something they've got, but I'm saying, God, you've provided all that I need. You are my provision, that our needs are purged. Number two, if we're going to selfie less, it's going to be by praising more. Paul said this. He said, I praise God for you. I praise God on you, or praise God for you. I praise God for what you've done. It becomes a place of worship. It becomes a place of, of acknowledging the Lord. If we're, going to, if we're going to be people who have ourselves less in view, it becomes with a heart of worship. When we become people who worship, people who praise, people who spend time acknowledging and magnifying the Lord, the, the psalmist wrote many times, he said, oh, magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Make God bigger in our circumstance, our situation. Let there be a big picture of honoring God. If we're gonna selfie less, It's gonna be by pleasing God more. Can I just say on a side note, I know this, again, isn't gonna affect everybody, but I would be concerned, or at least guard, if you are a person who likes to take a lot of pictures and put them up on Facebook, be careful that you don't live according to the like ticker on that Facebook or on that Instagram and count how many people like what you're doing. It might be a danger that you're looking for your identity in other people and missing the aspect of what really matters. That we lose ourselves in trying to present something that in reality is not reality. It's a perception. I'm not saying those things are, are wrong. I'm just saying be careful of the heart that looks to say, hey, I want to have, or, or how many people like it. I, I get on that sometimes. I like things. There's nothing wrong with that. But be careful that we don't judge and look and say, Oh, because I've heard teenagers say this. They got so many likes. I only got this many likes. And that's not healthy. It's not healthy to identify or to live your, live your life in trying to identify your identity of what people see in you. Because ultimately our identity is in who we are in Christ and pleasing him. Our decisions need to pass the God test. Does it please God? Pleasing God, here's what Philippians 4.18 says, at the moment I have all I need, Paul says, and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Let me ask you today, have you lived your life and the pictures you're taking, are they to bring honor and glory to God? Or they try to get as many likes as you can by people around you. Some of you say, well, I don't do that on, on, the, on the Instagram and social media. That's okay. I'm, but I'm talking in our lives in general. Do we do things to try and get the likes of people? 
rather than pleasing and honoring God. I want to read a poem that Mother Teresa wrote. Mother Teresa said this, people are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of being selfish, having ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build it anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, there may be jealousy. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you have and the best you've got anyway. You see, in all, in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Whatever you do, it may have this effect. It may cause this. Do it anyway, because when it's all said and done, it was between you and God. It wasn't between you and them anyway. It's not between us and them living a selfless life or selfless. Church, it's a hard thing to do. It's gonna take strength. It's gonna take charisma. It's gonna take, it's gonna take a, a strength that is not of ourselves. And that's why Paul made this important statement. He said in verse 13, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian in, in the, during and before and during the World War II. In fact, he was a part of the plot and the plan to assassinate Hitler. But it had been foiled and he, of course, was captured with the rest. And later, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, uh, was, was martyred. He was killed mainly for his faith of what he would not, uh, he would not go with in the, uh, in the social order. He made a decision, and he had a faith in Christ, and, and of course it cost him his life. But he made this statement as he was in prison. He wrote these words. He, he wrote, I believe God will give us all the power we need to resist in times of distress. He didn't say, I believe God will give us the power we need to rescue us. He didn't say, I believe God will give us the power we need to give us a good result and a good end. He said, I believe God will give us the power we need to resist. For I can do all things. And many times when we read all things, we look at what we can do. But I want to remind you of what you also cannot do. Meaning, it's hard to deny the flesh, but in Christ, I can do all things. Because we tend to read that scripture with I want to be an astronaut. Well, I can do all things through Christ. I can be an astronaut. Well, that sounds good. Makes for a nice inspirational speech, but that's not what the Bible says. You can't do anything or just anything through Christ. He says you can do everything. You cannot do just anything, but everything in Christ. We said this on Wednesday night that the Bible says, Paul says in Philippians again, he says, worry, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And when we live with an anything perspective, we live with anything. Well, anything goes. It becomes careless. It becomes pointless. It, it doesn't have clear direction. It's just anything. What do you want for dinner? Anything. Anything. I'll go, anything. But when you live in the everything, it's not just all-inclusive. What, what it is is everything becomes this purpose that I can do everything through Christ. And here's the importance, that I can do everything 
through Christ that I can only accomplish what it is that he has called me to accomplish, which means at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what my goals are. I've just got to make sure that my goals have lined up with his goals, that my life is lined up with his life. If I'm going to live less on self, I've got to spend time in the presence of God and know what it is that he's called me to, what he wants me to do. A couple of weeks ago, I was, was out in Chicago and, and uh, visited a, a history museum and it talked about the train and the railroads that came into Chicago and how that built the area up. And these trains had, had literally become uh, just the, the icon of the West, and they were able to move things from the West where there wasn't a lot of, of uh, settlement and a lot of uh, living, and they would bring those things by railroad to Chicago that became the place that provided then the, the cattle and the meats to the East where all the people and the population was. And they had distinct lines that this railroad, railway would go. And when I look at that picture that God says, I can do all things or everything through Christ. I want you to know today, God has empowered you like a locomotive. He's put his spirit inside of you. He's empowered you that he's given you, and you would even picture this, this, uh, this, uh, this old style locomotive that was steam engine, that you would, you would burn the coal and the fire would have to go and, and all the stuff that would take place in order to keep that thing going, to push and to, and to move it along and, and the, the things that were required. God has given us what we need in order to make it. He's given us what we need in order to, to pull up the big hills, in order to, to pace ourselves coming down. He's given us what we need to go through life's highs and to life's lows. He's given us what we need. How many believe that God has made it possible? He's provided for us. But just like that locomotive that is, that is powered, that's made ready, it can only go where those tracks dictate it. That mo locomotive might say, I've been traveling into Chicago, but I want to go over here. And you might read the scripture, says, I can do all things through Christ. You say, well, I'm going to go over here. That's not what he said. He didn't say you can do just whatever you want. He said you can do everything that's in my will. And as you live according to my will, because let me remind you that when we don't, and if that train gets off track, how many know that derailment can cause a lot of hazard? And some of our lives have been derailed because we've lived selfishly, because we've lived according to our wants, and we forgot to say, God, what is it that you want? Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.